Welcome to the Mike Abadir Show. You'll want to sit tight this hour as hosts Mike Abadir and co-host Gino Bacola talk to the experts, celebrities, and figures from the worlds of sports and business of sports. We cover the NFL, baseball, basketball, soccer, and horse racing, so we have all of the bases covered. Now, we just need your participation. Here is your host, Mike Abadir. Oh, July 18th, 2019, Gino Bacoli here on the Mike Abadir Show. The main man, Mike, right next to me and right in the middle of summer. A couple really good horse racing meets open up. Just finished uh, a good Wimbledon baseball in full swing. We had a fun Dodger Red Sox series last week. Lots going on in the world. Mike, where do we start? So many places to start, but I want to uh, I want to talk a little horse racing to get things going. You know, it's... Uh, it's, have you ever seen worse weather to start a, a meet like Saratoga ex- has experienced? Well, it was rain, really bad rain, and now, now it's shifting. Now <laughs> it's shifting to the heat. I I started to handicap the uh, the Saratoga Saturday card. I was going to talk about a couple of those races, but now those races are actually going to shift to Sunday, which is a really smart move. What they did, they hadn't really drawn the Sunday card yet, so they decided just to kind of shift what was Saturday going over to Sunday, and they added the stakes race from Sunday into the card. So, so they're making Sunday one like big card, like 14 races? Yeah, it's going to be 13. Just, okay. I think it's 13 races. They're going to have the steeplechase in the early one, and I think they're only going to add the graded stakes race to that because I believe that's the race that Midnight Bisu is going to run in. So you'll have a nice little card now <clears throat> with an additional stakes race on to what was already going to be a decent card. But the heat on the entire East Coast and the humidity supposed to be, I read, in the Saratoga area up to 107, maybe even 109 degrees and and that's not even like if that was 107 or 109 out in southern california where we are closer to the beach with a little bit of a breeze that's a a sticky sticky stagnant humid like i can't breathe i walk outside and it feels yeah the air feels thick you know and obviously with the with the you know recent wave of uh horse deaths which uh unfortunately there were a couple this morning we could talk about that in a moment but you know, I think you have to take extra precautions, for, you know, for riders and the horses' well-being um, as well. But, uh, yeah, they've been decimated by by some ugly weather. I was actually kind of wondering, before you just told me what they're doing on Sunday, if they were going to use Monday as a flex day since, you know, traditionally they've always run on Mondays. They dropped that from the schedule this year uh, in exchange for having a, lo- a longer meet, I think, by a week or so. But uh, that would be kind of cool to just add uh, to get, you know, like a to get one day. back yeah just to get one back but no I yeah think, i think it was it actually worked out it it feels like it, it worked out very well for them um in the sense that they you know they i think chad brown mentioned and cause we, we don't think about the little things like okay if a, the owners are all coming out to see their horses on a saturday you know they plan to it they plan to see it so at least it's it's the next day they don't have to worry about the horses rescheduling this for a week later um yeah. And so, yeah, I, I I think it works out. And you know what's going to happen now? Uh, Del Mar was an okay card on Saturday, but really Monmouth Park will get a lot of the focus now with the Haskell on Saturday. And they're a track that will really be under close watch because they have not canceled. And a few of the other tracks, I think Laurel, Delaware, and Saratoga have. And it's tough for Monmouth because this is their biggest day. So they, they're gonna, they were trying, and I'm sure they want to try to do everything they can to have the day go off as smoothly as possible. Oh yeah, they've. 
I was actually surprised how far in advance they actually prepped for this day until I actually made plans last summer. And if you recall, I got into a car accident, so I couldn't make the trip. I had to cancel everything. But the year before, I started looking into going to a Saratoga, Monmouth kind of trip. I was going to fly out there and then do a road trip. And um, I was like, well, I doubt they already like have all the Haskell you know, not just the date figured out, but the plans and the works and everything. And sure enough, they do. And here's the hotel you could stay at. And here's this and that and shuttles. I mean, the whole thing was mapped out a year in advance. So um, I have to imagine as the event gets, you know, bigger and better each and every year, uh, you know, now sports wagering and they could do some crossover marketing and such that, um, yeah, it'd be kind of impossible to be able to shift that date. Maybe they haven't maybe it's the only one that hasn't canceled from the tracks that you mentioned because they're the most coastal perhaps maybe yeah. they're expecting a little bit of a breeze because it's not just the horses and the riders but it's also the people in attendance too sure it sucks to be all sticky and drippy and wet and armpits it's not and, pleasant you know, for anyone no, no it's that's not. the thing it's just not so and and we're not and yeah we're not talking just like 90s heat this is this is supposed to be really really bad so hopefully monmouth can get just a a, a slight downtick just maybe five degrees, ten degrees cooler, so it's not unsafe for anyone, and, and they can have a nice day. I was I'm looking through the card. There are a couple spots I like there at Monmouth. Have you got a chance to look at the the Haskell Field at all? We will see the horse who crossed the wire first in the Kentucky Derby and was involved in that controversial disqualification. Maximum security. He's going to show up in the Haskell off of his slight defeat last out, which was the first time where he actually didn't cross the wire first. Yeah, it was kind of a lackluster performance. It may have been one of those things where the jockey instructions are, uh, you know, go at 80% because we're going to be able to crush this field. And then to their dismay and they're surprised, you know, they get beat. I don't know. I mean, I don't know how that type of thing works in terms of jockey instructions per se. But you hear all the time that, you know, the trainer didn't go all out or whatever the case may be. I think with this horse, when you're unbeaten, you kind of want the exclamation mark. You want that perfect record so to speak crossing the wire first every time so um you know that that makes it an intriguing wagering event right because now it's like well was he 100 percent? did he give it 100 percent? is he beatable is he not beatable so yeah. where do you where how do you see this race finishing out and and what makes first he he got a good draw with his speed getting drawn to the outside is is a big positive what's a negative is that it looks like there's a lot of other speed in this field. Uh, really, like every other horse besides Everfast, it would not shock me if they were right up on the lead. And they're all like legitimately quick horses. I mean, you start with all of them. And I think the key to the race will be king for a day and what tactics did they decide. Because from the rail, sometimes the best plan is show a little speed. Let's see if we can kind of get away from the rail at least. Maybe we go or maybe we sit. And if King for a day is fast and ends up pushing the pace, well, Jovia is probably going to push the pace. Spun to run isn't going to be far out of it. Bethlehem Road is not going to be far out of it. Mucho Gusto is not going to be far out of it. And then Maximum Security. So you're looking at a field that could it could be going really, really quick up front. And so that's why I'm, I'm leaning just from a, a win and I would look the two horses I would look to kind of key off of or play one, depending on the price, would be either King for a Day or Mucho Gusto. And I'd probably lean more towards Mucho Gusto because he he did show he can sit off just a little bit last time out. 
The problem is, is if you take him back a bit and he ends up like five lengths, four or five lengths behind, and some of them are going quick, he's never shown the ability to come from you know that far back. So that's what makes this race a little tricky is that there's a lot of horses with the same running style. I really do think Everfast has a big shot to at least finish underneath. I don't know if he's good enough to win the race, but you know, if you're using the exact as tries, supers, Everfast looks like one of the really only true closers in the race. Yeah, I mean, I, I like your king for a day pick because, you know, in the, at least in the last out, it gets maximum security. He was able to press the pace and, you know, kept the pressure on and, and ultimately was able to outfinish. I mean, he's never uh, really won a bad race. He's, no. always, he's always been a nice horse. His debut, in sure. his debut, he lost to Complexity when Complexity was really good at two. And next out, grade one winner out of that. And then he, he lost, only beaten a couple lengths in, in a grade of stakes against, you know, Signalman, Pluque, Carfe, and Lemonite when they were, you know, all solid at the time. And then he's been good since. So he's not yeah, a two bad. Two for two. Two yeah, for two is a three-year-old, you know. He's not a bad animal. It's not like he he was like some hopeless long shot that had no chance to, to beat maximum security. But he might just, even win or lose, I think he might be the key to the race. Because if he doesn't go then maybe maximum security can kind of clear and it doesn't get too quick. But if he goes and then it can't, like if he pushes the pace a little bit and it forces Jovia and, and then maybe a chain reaction of everyone to go a little bit faster than they want to try to get the lead, that's when things really heat up. Sure. You know, for, for me, I land on mucho gusto. Not a very sexy pick, but, you know, Bob Baffert, West Coast Speed has dominated this decade. I'll always take uh, the California speed over, you know, East Coast or anywhere else speed any day of the week. Similarly, when I see a horse from, you know, East Coast running on turf out here, usually I, I side with that horse. Those are just kind of blind angles that I always, you know, put a couple stars by when I'm handicapping. But I mean, this horse has done no wrong. Perfect seven for seven mark in the money. Five of those wins. And, uh, you know, I think Talamo, even though he doesn't have necessarily like that nationwide kind of reputation, uh, he's a very capable rider. Get the job done. Yeah, and I'll give you one before we, we shift. Um, earlier on in the card, if you're playing at Monmouth Park in the fifth race, there's a horse that's a little bit of a price. I think it has a shot. Uh, Dover Cliffs, the number three in race number five. There's just not a lot of speed in this race. You look up and down, I think... Uh, a couple that want to sit just off the pace. And if Dover Cliffs breaks well from the inside, coming out of a couple quick races early on, I think might be able to sneak away. So maybe uh, include Dover Cliffs in some of your exotics or put a few bucks on that one if uh, if you get the price around maybe like just over anything over six to one, I think is pretty fair there. T- and, take a $14 uh, winner all day, brother. Thank you yeah. for that. That sounds, yeah, so that sounds very we had playable. a We had for a random, I will say, for a random series baseball series in the middle of july it was a pretty fun dodger red Sox up obviously a little more fun for me because the dodgers were able to squeak it out but the games were entertaining and they definitely were not like well played baseball games they were they were entertaining games and i think we saw we definitely saw some weaknesses for both of our teams uh highlighted and in particular um, the Dodgers have continued on with some of those weaknesses. Kind of sloppy play, but a fun series nonetheless. What were some of your thoughts of uh, of how the Red Sox have started the second half? Yeah, I mean, first I'll start with that series. It was a lot like the World Series. Each of those World Series games was really, really good. And, uh, you know, sometimes you're flipping through the channels and they'll have a you know, replay of the Fall Classic on whatever Spectrum or any, you know, Whatever channel, MLB or whatever, they'll replay the World Series. You know, there's been a couple times where I've stopped and just kind of watched it again. Obviously, for me, big smile on my face. But while I was watching those uh, games, I'm like, 
these are really, really interesting games, really mm-hmm. fun games. And this series was exactly the same. Obviously, you know, when you look at it from the stat sheet, Dodgers take two out of three on the road against a surging Red Sox team. They've been doing it all year. No surprise there. Um, but they were really competitive games. Mm-hmm. And it could have been two, two, two out of three going either the other way. way. But Absolutely. that was like the World Series, too. I mean, World Series, just a few pitches, you know, turn out differently here and there. And, and the Dodgers are winning, you know, mm-hmm. uh, in seven. So, with that said, the Red Sox clearly have some weaknesses. One of their biggest weaknesses, surprisingly enough, is their play at home. Yeah. I don't know what the deal is. I don't know if they're just kind of too relaxed there. They, they're not able to kind of regenerate that intensity from the year before because they've always been a dominant home team, even before last year, which is historically they're a great Fenway team, play the wall real well defensively, know all the you know ins and outs of the outfield dimensions and the, and the very little foul territory. And they just have a true home field advantage there. And they have, been able, have not been able to capitalize on it to this extent. After their poor start, and I don't remember the exact date, but somewhere like late April, since then they have the best road record in the majors. Yeah, you know, and and you look like when you look at their numbers, it's it's really interesting because they are right at the very top in runs, average on base percentage. Um, a, a lot of the offensive categories, you look through all of the players and just individually their numbers, they're all having pretty good years. You know, some really some good, great, some great yeah. years. And even like, it feels like Mookie is having a down year. And when you, when you dive into the numbers, he's really not, he's still getting on base a ton. He's just, well, let me tell you a fun, something funny about having a down year. Cause obviously everybody's thinking down year. From when you win a batting title and you sure. know, have any home runs it, and steals and stuff. Of course, he's in the top five in war. Yeah. You know, that's, so that's it, if that's a down year, I mean, I'll take great, it all exactly. week. Because you know, his was, runs scored are tops, you know, with 84 this year. And uh, next, I think, is Trout with 74. So, I mean, he's crushing in that department. He's getting on base. He's starting to heat up with the bat, though. You're seeing this average kind of climb up a little bit, his on-base percent. I mean, it's always been like, pretty good, but that's even getting, climbing up a little bit. And even the power numbers are are going up a little bit. You're getting the production from in the catching the catcher spot, like really good this year too. And even the pitching staff, you look through, you don't. You're, the ERA is like in the middle. Even the bullpen overall isn't like one of the worst ERAs. It's just very situational. And that's that's the difference in like five, four or five games. We're not even talking like twenty games. Is the difference between it feeling like the Red Sox are having a much better season than they are. It's just those four or five blown saves or leads that were given up. Because every team's going to have a few. Even the Dodgers we saw over the weekend, like they struggle. Their bullpen has issues. Every team has some bullpen issues. It feels like this year in particular. Like there are not very many strong bullpens at all, really. Um, but it's just, it's really weird when you dive into all the numbers from the Red Sox. It's, there are, there are just a couple little things that have gone the, the, Kind of the opposite way that things were going last year. Yeah, ball, you know, as the old adage goes, ball's kind of not bouncing their way. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it's hard to kind of maintain that for a two-year period. And, you know, having every bloop hit, you know, get caught versus a Texas leaguer versus uh, a shoestring catch. You know, it seems like any time that they needed the ball to find the grass, <laughs> the Red Sox were able to last year. With that said, I don't think it's a team that any – opponent wants to face in a series no 
you know, especially since Chris Seal, he's still inconsistent, but at least the top of his game is still excellent. And that's always my fear of, about a pitcher. You know, he's gone downhill when he's inconsistent and the top of his game, the best he's going to give you is not enough. Right now it is enough. Obviously today, a great outing, 12 strikeouts, two hitter, um, went six, you know, fantastic job today. Uh, as we speak right now, the Red Sox are nine games above 500, which puts them nine games out of first place. I think at this point in time, they could probably say we're not likely to win the division. Let's just shoot for one of those wild card spots. Because like I said, who, who would want to face them in a short series? I don't think no, any team would want to. And that's what's funny. It's so like, it, it's scary how much it would weigh on that one game because you would go from feeling like it was a disappointing season to not get a series in the playoffs to oh wow nobody wants to play the red Sox right now yeah just the shift right because like maybe you play the a's or the indians and all of a sudden you're down three nothing and then you lose the game and you're like oh man or the opposite way you're up five nothing and then everyone's going oh crap we got to play the red Sox now in a series this team is hot this team is peaking they won the world series last year and they, they have no fear this is like nothing new to them uh-oh you know, it's it's just so funny how much that one game could shift what the perception of the of the season. So they got to get there too. But I'd still put my money on the Red Sox um, uh, stealing one of those wild card spots. Yeah. Well, let's take a quick break and let's talk about one of those teams you just mentioned, which is the Oakland A's, as well as the Cleveland Indians, who are surging a little bit as well. And uh, you know, surprisingly enough, the Twins and Astros are kind of. Not quite getting caught, but yeah. there isn't the same comfort level as there was, say, a month ago. So let's take a quick commercial break, and when we come back, we'll keep talking MLB pennant chases. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Looking for the best show about horse racing and handicapping? Want to play the ponies? Join us every week for Winning Ponies with John Englehart, racing's regular guy, where you'll go inside and behind the scenes with the top jockeys, trainers, agents, and handicappers in the world of horse racing. This show is the perfect complement to the Winning Ponies handicapping website. Listen for top plays for the weekend and the spot play of the week and win prizes just for calling in. Winning Ponies with John Englehart is live Thursdays at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Sports Network. Have we got a high-energy, all-access sports show for you. It's Outside the Huddle, starring Lemond Williams. Each week, join Lemond as he takes callers, discusses the week's top stories in the world of sports, and sits down with active and former players to discuss their transition from sports to business. Outside the Huddle is a great resource for players making career transitions both on and off the field. Tune in Wednesdays at 8 p.m. Eastern, 7 Central, and 5 Pacific. For Outside the Huddle on the Voice America Sports Channel. Want to experience football from the perspective of a former player who also has coaching experience? Tune in to Sports Info UM with Daryl Oliver. He'll talk about the draft, play-by-play, and even what's happening in the offseason. Daryl has the connections and the knowledge to bring you the inside stories of the game's past, present, and future. He'll cover the camps on and off the field and everything else, football and beyond. Sports Info UM is heard Mondays at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. 
Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. This is the Mike Abadir Show. If you want to call in today, we can be reached at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to Mike at themikeabadirshow.com. Now, back to this week's program. Back here on the Mike Abadir Show. Mike, you said you wanted to mention one more thing on the Red Sox before we moved on? Yeah, so... You know, if if you want me to kind of sum it up, the perfect analogy for this is look at what Cody Bellinger is doing this season. It's a kind of a similar season, uh, like let's just say like Mookie Betts was having last year, high war, high production. But here's what's missing for the Red Sox season. Even as Bellinger's batting average has maybe tapered off a little bit, it's still outstanding, and it was impossible to kind of keep at that crazy clip he was hitting at. But here's the difference. He still talked about as an MVP because not just are his numbers phenomenal and he's up there in the home runs with uh, Christian Belich and stuff like that, Yelich and, and, and guys uh, you know that are in that 34-plus home run territory, but he's hitting a lot of important home runs yep. and game winners. Yep. And yep. when you mentioned JD and you said he's having a typical JD season, kind of thought about it, and I'm like, well, is he? Because I remember last year, all his home runs were very meaningful. Mm-hmm. A lot of this year's home runs are when they've been up twelve to two, or, or seventeen big. to six, or kind of down big, and you know they, uh, you know, a meaningless home run mm-hmm. to, to make the the game now eight or to eight, eight to three or something like that. Yeah, and it's kind of the same thing to a lesser extent with Mookie Betts because he has had some pretty big hits this year, but th- that's kind of the difference. So Bellinger's average could settle down into the two eighty range, and people are still going to be saying. You know, this guy is an MVP contender, we're even though his, his batting average dropped off, I mean, may have dropped off 120 points from where it was at one point in the season because he's been hitting meaningful home run after meaningful home run yeah. in the late game situation. He's the last guy in the league that you want to face right now. Yeah, Every time I've got the Dodger game on and the game's on the line and he is up, I'm like, he is going to hit a either a, a double in the gap or a home run. Yep, and sure enough, he does, and he's even doing it. You know, he may not be the greatest defender in the world, but man, I've seen him very, come up with some fast. very good plays, some good throwouts. Um, he you know, leading, he's, he's got a clutch he's, arm, even in, uh, in yeah. meaningful situations. <laughs> if he, that makes any sense. No, he's he's done. He's improved his game all over, and he's made uh, big big adjustments, which you always like to see. And and I think the key is what you mentioned. Like when you hit, when you're hitting at such a high clip, you're batting average is always going to come down because you get less pitches to hit in the situations that aren't meaningful, right? If there's nobody on or if the guys can, they, they pitch around you almost all the time. Like in some at bats, he doesn't get one like legitimate pitch to hit. He either has to chase a couple pitches if he wants to try to hit something or he just takes it for a walk and moves on. But it's, it's in when late in the game, when there's a runner on or, when it's a tie game and you can't just pitch around him, you have to still try to attack him. That's when he's the best right now. And that's when the good, the good players that are having the good years are their best. And that's why Boston, as you mentioned, was so good last year, even all throughout the playoffs, because there were at least two games against the Dodgers where it felt like, oh, okay, now this Dodger team has a, has Boston under wrap right now. And this isn't a bad Dodger team. This is a good team that has 
another baseball team kind of under control, up by a few runs. This should be a, a game that you were able to to get a victory in. And that's not the case. And, and that was the case for Boston on their entire run last year. And hopefully that's the case for uh, the Dodgers. It's, it's kind of felt like a, a little bit different, a little bit special year this year. But one question to kind of talk about both our teams and then move forward and, and maybe some of the other teams, what – if anything, would you like to see Boston add in the trade deadline? I know they just added a, a end of the rotation, Andrew Kashner. Do you expect them to make any other additions? If anything, they may get some back end of the bullpen type help. Uh, whether it be one more setup man, long reliever, or a closer, I don't know. I'm sure they could use any one of those three. Uh, here's the thing, though. In the past... When the Red Sox, and it's been on many, many, many occasions over the years, when they've traded for a closer, it, it almost has never worked out. Very mm-hmm. rarely. I remember, uh, I believe, three, four seasons ago, they traded with Pittsburgh for Melanson, the uh, current Giants pitcher. Mm-hmm. He was having a fantastic year with the Pirates. Just a microscopic ERA and whip Just and a bunch nothing. of saves. Didn't do Jack, you know what, in Boston. I think he... You know, and six, you seven of, ERA, something like that. So the, the Red Sox, if you bring Will Smith in, maybe from from the Giants, you might be excited. But he's got a. It's a different type of pressure when you're playing in Boston and than with the San count. Francisco Giants. And these games were, are big games. You know, not even expected to contend this year. Although they've been on a crazy run too. But um, so that's that's kind of my thing. What and, about you and, with the Dodgers? And Boston is also going to kind of be in a similar situation to the Dodgers. Boston has a Voldy coming back who's going to become their closer. And that if if he's if you get an you know Cashner to kind of be an end of the rotation guy and he can just eat some innings for you and you're able to move Evaldi there and he's able to do, you know, just perform at average level as a closer. He has experience, he's a gamer. And you know that that could be just like getting another reliever which the Dodgers have kind of had happened the last couple years because I mean I look at the Dodgers right now and the way that their bullpen could shape up. I'm expecting that if everybody's healthy, Rich Hill should be coming back. Uh, he'll probably be back in maybe three weeks to a month, like around September. Yeah, he seems at, to be at the ahead of the schedule. Yeah, I think so. So, uh, and I think this might end up being a blessing in disguise for Rich Hill because I'm expecting the Dodgers to have Ryu, Kershaw, and Bueller as their top three starting pitchers in the playoffs, which means. Maeda, as they've done the last few years, will move to the bullpen. They have, you know, Stripling and Urias already in the bullpen. And and we probably will see Rich Hill come out of the bullpen. I, I think if they have those three starters, you can start those three pitchers, you know, multiple times in a series. And then another one of them, Ryu, maybe three times or whoever they go with first. Like, that, that's probably the best case scenario for the Dodgers. And could you imagine having another lefty like Rich Hill coming out of the bullpen to give you an inning or two or just against a batter or two? That, I mean, so if the Dodgers were able to set up a bullpen where coming into today, you now he, he didn't have a great game today. He gave up a couple hits, but he, uh, Joe Kelly actually pitched really well against Boston. In his last 20 starts, he had a 1.8 ERA over tw- or in his last 20 appearances. So that's not a small sample size for a guy who struggled really early. As you know, Joe Kelly can get very hot and very streaky. If you get a legitimate Joe Kelly, for the first two months of the season, Joe Kelly was not only a non-factor, he was a massive negative. It wasn't even like he was like in the conversation of being oh, yeah. in the bullpen, you know, being oh, a yeah. big piece of this bullpen. So if the Dodgers are able to set up a bullpen from the top down with Kenley, even if he's not quite himself, Joe Kelly, 
Pedro Baez, who's very good against anybody but the Red Sox, he gets beat up by, but he's a, he's a really good reliever otherwise. And then you have, you know, Urias, Stripling, Maeda, and Hill. Like, that's six or seven arms in your bullpen. That, sh- that should be a good enough bullpen. And if you add another piece to that, I don't know who they go get. I'm sure they're going to get at least one or two. I, I feel a little more confident than I, than I have in past years when their bullpen struggled because I think their versatility with their starting pitching is going to help even more this year because they're, they're Ryu and Bueller are just a little bit different this year. They think than they've been in years past. Yeah. And I think, you know, what you just laid out there is not just ideal for the postseason, but it's a winning formula in the postseason. especially how many series have we seen that have been super tightly played over the last four or five seasons that have gone into extra innings in the postseason, so many of them. And some have gone really, really deep. Obviously, the first one that comes to mind is, uh, what do we get to, the 18th inning between Boston and and the Dodgers? Pitched a full game. So now when you have these guys who are being used as relievers, but who can give you five, six, seven innings in extra innings, that's really, really big versus take a team like the Cardinals who have a really, really good bullpen despite uh, one of their closers, you know, being a shutdown for the year, uh, Jordan Hicks. But a the thing about guys. them is they can't really go into long relief. They could bring in Brebbia and, and, and Gallegos and then end up with uh, Carlos Martinez, but they're an inning-at-a-time type bullpen. You know, give me six from your starters, give me seven from your starters, and I've got an inning here, an inning there, my closer, boom, done. But if they go into extra innings, Cardinals this year are screwed. So that, I think, is going to be what ultimately wins the World Series for the Dodgers. It's going to be having that type of depth. You mentioned uh, Ivaldi. I just want to say one thing about that is I'm a little bit concerned because he was all set on leaving as a free agent. And the only reason he came back is because Boston assured him that he'd be a starter. So is this move being made begrudgingly? Yeah. Or is he all in on it? Yeah, that's that's, that's key. My that's that's a good that's a good piece of information because he feels like the kind of guy who I, I think I feel like would be all in if they talked to him about it before and they said, hey, look, look at how our bullpen is this year. You know, maybe this is just going to be a one year thing because they've locked him up for a couple years, right? They signed him for a few years, yep. so maybe they're saying, hey, look, we don't make you a full time closer, but with this particular team, you would help us the most at the end of the bullpen. We could even bring you in for a couple innings, you know, a two or three inning closer, just like what we were talking about right now. You know, if your bullpen's struggling, you bring him in, in this, like right after the starting pitcher, you know, or you bring one guy in, they struggle, and boom, in comes Avaldi. You could pitch him two or three innings, close out the game. That that would be impressive. And and that, I, I think he's the type of guy who'd be fine with that. One of the real keys is, is a, a player you mentioned playing for a team that could be a key to the trade deadline is the San Francisco Giants. They're playing really good baseball right now, Mike. They've won five in a row. They're eight and two in their last 10, and they hold two big pieces to the trade deadline. Will Smith, uh, a left-handed bullpen piece that could be huge for any team. Anybody needs a lefty out of the bullpen. And then Madison Bumgarner, who is probably the best starting pitcher available. And with his postseason success, we know that even if he's having a struggling season and his numbers aren't quite as good as they are, you trade him, you put him in a, a playoff lineup, at the top of your rotation, and and he, I would be more surprised if he did not perform than if he did. 
yeah, I totally agree with you. And, you know, I think either of those guys would be big, but I'd much rather have Mad Bum because, like I said, closers are so volatile anyways. You know, you never know what you're going to get from them from year to year, let alone from team to team. So, uh, yeah, I mean, if they could – the Giants, I think, do hold the uh, cards for the playoff fate for a lot of teams. It'll be interesting, though, to see what they do because, you know, they're coming on strong. It is Boach's last season. In the midst, in the midst of it, do you trade away his uh, World Series champ, his you know, his uh, horse, his inning eater? I mean, do you do that to a Hall of Fame manager like that? I don't know. I don't know how that this all plays out. But I will say that their winning at least improves the the stock of a lot of these guys. So it's good for the Giants, regardless. But yeah, man, Bay Area is seeing some really, really good baseball right now. Really quickly, by the way. Upset alert, Del Mar, one to nine favorite, just got slayed. Oh, nice! In the sixth race, yeah, it was uh, sneaking out. Was bet down to one to nine. Keith the Sormos horse, who had really, really good um, workout report numbers and data on him, and uh, Flava Flav Flavian Pratt, who started off pretty hot, nails him at the wire, coming like a freight train train with an eight to one shot. So uh, that's race six at Del Mar. But uh, yeah, Oakland A's man, fantastic job. 13 games above 500. They've won six in a row. Their run differential is actually better than Astros. Who would have thunk it? It's, it's pretty phenomenal because you look at their team and it's, it's kind of the same thing every year. And you just assume that because they are, they went on a streak over their last like two months. Before that, they were not they were they were not a very good baseball team. I, they just weren't. And and you and you look at their lineup, it was like okay, how why are, and how are they going to get a lot better? They don't have a whole ton of pitching, and they have a like a nucleus of about five or six players that always hit between two fifty and two eighty, and they don't do anything flashy. But they all produce and have like above average wars. And so they're just total money ball type teams. It, it's really, it's really incredible. And I keep you looking at their team and it's like, how do they, how do they have enough pitching each and every year? And again, this year, like, I, I just don't understand how they keep winning games with the top of their rotation. They are only four games behind the Astros in the loss column right now. And with a ton of baseball still left to play. You touched on this briefly uh, a bit earlier. Both the Astros and the Twins and their fans should be a little bit worried because the the Cleveland Indians are playing some really good baseball. That's another team who was supposed to be sellers. They were supposed to be, and they still are getting talked about as possibly trading Bauer or Kluber. How could you trade Bauer if you're in line to make a playoff spot? They're leading the the wild card right now. Are they? Yeah, I don't understand it, and I don't think. Uh... You know, I don't think Francona is gonna, um, you know, sit quietly as uh, as they trade away frontline starters. You know, um, coming down the stretch, you know, I don't see it happening. No. Um, you know, with the A's, a quick mention, they're not even doing this with uh, your typical Chris Davis forty five home runs either. You yeah, know, he had a really really good first couple of weeks of the season. It's kind of tapered off. You know, he's got the quietest sixteen home runs. It seemed like he had ten, like in April. You know, I'd have to go back and look, but just uh, not not your typical Chris Davis slugging campaign. So you're right, though. The A's are doing it 
just it's just steady team baseball steady through and through and uh you know when they need a clutch catch they're getting it like uh, Matt Chapman's very good Chapman's very but he's good. not having like a monster year or anything you know he's had 22 jacks 659 RBIs 278 just they're all steady they all get on base and I just it's the same question with them though every time they never really have the top end of the line starting pitching so I always have a, I always have a, a tough time thinking that they'll be able to compete in a series or even in even in a one game situation like who who's starting the game for them Mike Fires you know Mike, well you, and Billy Bean it, did say that they're going to be active at the trade deadline and you know what I'd like to see because the Reds keep getting talked about as sellers and, you know, so they may be moving their closer, Iglesias. They may be moving a couple of starters. They've even dangled their frontline ace. So anything uh, is possible with the Reds. I'd like to see Sonny Gray go back to Oakland. Sure. He's kind of turned the corner with the Reds. He was terrible with the Yankees. Why? I don't know. But he seems to have found his uh, mojo again. And so I'd like to see him going back to Oakland because – you know, over there, he was a, a you know, he was an ace, the ace of their staff, but also pitching like it. His ERAs were, were lights out during the years that he was there, which is what made him so sought out in the first place. Uh, yeah, you, you look up and you could play a game with, I think, a lot of your friends that know baseball well and try to ask them to name, you know, four to five players on the A's and they'd have a tough time doing it. Yeah, I mean, outside of some uh, crazy catches by the center fielder, they might uh, have a tough time n- naming naming guys from that club. But hey, man, they uh, they're right in the they're, mix. They're, they're in striking distance right now. I wouldn't at all be surprised if they uh, catch the Astros, and it comes down to some really meaningful games in September, especially if they go out and are ag- as aggressive in the trade market as uh, Billy Bean is saying uh, that they will be. I I don't know how he's not the executive of the year, like year in, year out, and uh, Melvin Co- manager of the year because these guys do so much with it's so little. little. It's yep. really, really impressive. Um, here's the thing with the uh, Twins in the Central. Is it that they were playing out of their you-know-what? Or is this kind of who they are, what we're seeing now? A little bit of their both. They, they're they a good baseball team, too. Like, we were talking about the Red Sox with the numbers – like the twins don't exactly have or aren't a slouch when it comes to any of the offensive numbers at all this year. No, especially their power numbers. Their power numbers have been absurd. Um, they they so they've. I just figured like they would come back to life a little bit. They they were playing a l- slightly better than they are now. And now what happens is now the pressure is on. So now everybody who had good starts to the season really, as you mentioned, these games matter. These are meaningful games now. They have to they have to have a good weekend coming up. They've lost three in a row while Cleveland won four in a row. So lots of ground shifting there in the Central. And then when you look over the National League... Well, let's take a quick commercial break, Gino. Sorry to interrupt you. No, no. Let's take a quick commercial break, and then we'll come back and talk about the National League. And by the way, quick note, the uh, one of the teams that... um, was just kind of uh, out of left field prediction on my end, the Kansas City Royals, uh, whose season is, 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 has been over for some time now. Um, they're starting to turn the, turn the corner a little bit and playing some good baseball. That prediction is probably uh, a year, maybe even too premature. But uh, good to see the Royals uh, on, a, on a nice little streak here. And uh, I'll be interested to see how they do in the second half because I do think they have a lot of interesting pieces 
uh, for the future. Let's take a quick commercial break. We'll come back and talk NL baseball. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Racers and Rental Cars is the program for wannabe pro racers and those interested in the racing profession and automotive industry. Join hosts Cameron Ferre and Don O'Neill as they take you behind the scenes with previews and review for race day. It's about the business as well as the fun. We've got the scoop, the guests, the discussion, and the WTF moments. All you need to do is bring your ears. Racers and Rental Cars heard every Saturday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern, right here on the Voice America Variety Channel. Sports continues to grow and evolve to ever-increasing prominence in today's society. On All Around Sports, host John Inglesby will connect with the leading newsmakers from the sports world, including players, owners, and fellow sports journalists discussing the top news and events that are relevant to sports today. John will also report from and offer his experience of the world's top sports events. Tune into All Around Sports with John Inglesby, Mondays at noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Variety channel streaming live the leader in internet talk radio voiceamerica.com this is the mike abadir show if you want to call in today we can be reached at 1-866-472-5788 that's 1-866-472-5788 or send an email to mike at the mike show.com now back to this week's program back here closing things out on the mike abadir show finishing up at the uh, the national league a little check-in over uh, in baseball and the team who's actually the current number one wild card team who has had an incredible month or two. They were under 500. It was there was a key date for the the Washington Nationals when you look at their entire team, and that date was May the 17th. Before prior to May the 17th, Max Scherzer had not had a very good start to the season. Uh, Soto had been banged up. That was the day that Trey Turner came back. And if you look at how Turner, Soto, Rendon, and Scherzer have performed since then, it has been unbelievable. They're 7-3 and three in their last 10, and they're six games over 500. They're a team who I liked a little bit coming into the year, and I gave up on them after they looked so bad and they were so banged up, and now they're right, they're right in the mix. I don't know if they have enough to catch the Braves in the East, but as far as being a scary wildcard team, we talk about scary teams like the Red Sox. You know, the Nationals haven't had a lot of postseason success. But when you look at a solid lineup with a three-headed monster in the pitching staff, that could be a very scary team to face in a series. Yeah, and they're doing it without uh, Bryce Harper. And they're outplaying Bryce Harper's current team. And uh, I think that uh, we both know a lot of Philadelphia Phillies fans. They have to be a little bit disappointed in what's going on. They played an entertaining series yeah. with the uh, Dodgers uh, over the weekend. But uh, the Nationals, here's the thing about them. You know, you, you make a good point because you don't want to face Scherzer in the postseason. I don't care what team you are. So if he's on, you know, you've got two wins right there. 
if he's at the top of his game, he is really, really unbeatable. He's so, beating, and he's beating your best. So now all of a sudden, your number two and threes have to match up against Corbin. Sure, and, Strasburg, and the Braves which don't have anybody to match up with him. No, no. You know they, they, you know they would if they faced each other in a series. You know they'd be in deep doo doo. You know, yeah, they got Keiko, but I mean Keiko's best years are behind him. They would be like if you're the Cubs and you, you know. And you have to face the Nationals three, you know, those three pitchers or Scherzer maybe three times, two or three times that like that's a, a team that you don't want to face with your big bats, you know, because that's how the Cubs are going to beat teams. If, if they're able to get in they're pitching with Cole Hamels, we'll see they they've actually they've gotten really good performances from you Darvish in his last few games. And if they're able to get yeah, that, he doesn't walk, he doesn't walk eight a game anymore. Yeah. If you're if they're able to get that from from you Darvish at the top of their rotation that could help kind of fill the void for the next few weeks while Hamels is out because we knew the one thing with the Cubs is their pitching was just kind of really pitching way too over their head early on they were going to come back to life a little bit so the way they have to beat you is you know they're going to beat you with their really really solid and really steady lineup they're still as deep of a lineup as they've ever been Baez has kind of taken the next step. You know, it used to be Rizzo and Bryant, and Bryant's very, very steady, and he's having a really good bounce back year. But now it's it's Baez who's become kind of the the MVP candidate in the middle of that Cubs lineup. Yeah, he's 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 a definitely a special player. You know, the Cubs the Cubs are interesting because you know they're they're playing sound baseball, and they, like you said, they've gotten some good pitching. Probably better pitching than what we've expected or what we expected going into the year. You know, Lester's kind of tapered off a little bit, but still having a really, really strong campaign. I don't know if they scare the Dodgers. And I heard somebody the other day asking, you know, if they don't really make any noise in the postseason or they don't make the postseason because the Brewers and the Cardinals, let's say, pass them up, you know, is it time to blow up the team? Is it time for to Epstein to say, to say, you know what, 2016, even though it doesn't seem that far ago, um, you know, this was a team that people talked about as, as a potential dynasty in the making. Sure. And they really haven't done, you know, anything to suggest to me that they are a legitimate World Series candidate. They just, they just haven't taken the next, the next step to, to stay as, um, like I think we've seen with the kind of with the Astros or the Dodgers haven't won, but they've done this. The Red Sox have done a pretty good job. Is they've just continued to add to what they've had. It seems like the Cubs have kind of been a little stagnant and a little bit complacent with their group and felt really comfortable with their group. But then each year one of them is having a down year, and I think they depend a little bit too much on on that lineup and not enough from the, got not enough from the pitching staff. So that central is one of the closest divisions in baseball. And it's the only one, it actually is the closest division in baseball. And it's the one that still seems like we can make a little noise with the Cubs, with the Brewers, with the Cardinals, all within three games, pirates. Well, how, how long, how long do you, um, you know, do you give the Cardinals before you say, you know what, it ain't their year. Well, the, the only reason why the Cardinals, I think are still at least, at least have a shot is because these teams still all play each other a lot. If you look at the way the Central is set up down the second half, they all play each other a ton. The Cubs, the Brewers, and the Cardinals in particular. So, I mean, one series sweep. If the Cardinals get back to like five or six games behind, then I think they're done. But anytime they're within three, they still think they have enough talent. 
Um, it's scary. They're another one of those teams that's kind of scary. Like it's always scary to play these teams that you know have talent, but they've kind of underachieved most of the year. That's how the Dodgers were last year, and they made it to the World Series. Like they didn't have a good season at all. They barely got into the playoffs, and they find a way to get to the World Series. And then you're kind of feeling like, yeah, maybe this was a, a weird year where you're just gonna do what you have to do to win. And, and some some years are like that. They don't always have like a a narrative where it's like, oh, we had a good year, we're gonna win it all. So the Cardinals could be a sneaky second half team. I'm glad that they've actually like stayed above 500 and they're right in the mix for a, a wild card spot at the very least. So um, little, little transition because we only have a few minutes left. There is uh, and I know we've talked a little bit about this. I wanted to um, recently, there's a, a big fight this weekend, the Pac-Man Manny Pacquiao uh, versus Thurman and the welterweight division has become kind of fun. Mike, there are like four or five pretty legitimate fighters. Yeah, but from a scale of 1 to 10, how much intrigue is there in this fight in your eyes? Um, well, the reason why is because Thurman is undefeated, and he was really good. He was like the top of the division. Then he got hurt, and he missed like from 2017 to the beginning of 2019, and then his fight when he came back was not that great. And Pacquiao is always just like a fun, a real fun fighter. He's been a professional for 24 years. That's what's always amazing. So I've kind of had, I've become pretty nostalgic in just like in tennis and in boxing and in like seeing some of these really great, I want to watch some of these really great ones before they go out and get to kind of experience them uh, one more time. So we don't have to spend any more time on that, but keep an eye on this fight because I think the winner of this fight will, there are five right now. Crawford is 35 and 0. He's kind of the top of those five. And then it's going to be Pacquiao versus Thurman and then uh, Spence versus Porter. And it looks like the winners of those two will fight. And then the winners of those will fight Crawford. And we might get a little kind of round robin tournament or not a round robin, but just a little uh, a little tournament to to crown one of the best. So keep an eye on this division. You know, what's funny about this matchup is that, you know, the WBA welterweight title is on the line between these guys. Thurman holds their super world title and Pacquiao holds their world, world title. Welter, yeah. Just the world <laughs> so, welterweight. Yeah. So, then, um, yeah, I mean, but I think the intrigue there, like you said, is, is probably more so in Thurman, you know, you know, Pacquiao is a warrior. He's going to be one of those guys. going to give you a hundred percent. Um, but I like having undefeated records on the yep. line. So I think to me, this probably puts this matchup maybe at a five or a six out of ten in terms of intrigue for me. Um, yeah, those, I, I think one thing that I do like is that um, Fox has entered into the uh, boxing space. And I think they've done a pretty good job for for a, a network that hasn't previously covered boxing on any type of regular basis or not in recent memory at least. I think they've done a pretty good job so far. I don't know if you've watched any of yeah. their weekday stuff, but you know they've they've done a pretty good job covering the sport, and I think they'll probably just keep you know getting. Uh, more and more talent to their network until they become a, a premier uh, network in a couple that covers months, the sport. So we're getting WWE on Fox That's right. in a couple That's months, right. and there's going to be some pre and post game shows too, like just like in studio shows that cover the product uh, afterwards. Well, it's kind of interesting that they, you know. And that's probably a whole separate conversation when it comes to you know what can you extract out of some of these moves to predict the kind of trajectory of some of these sports, right? Obviously Fox is saying that we're betting on fighting sports. 
Um, they're also making a pretty big bet on horse racing with respect to uh, you know Saratoga. Their full time coverage over there is on they, multiple. Sports, of yeah, their live networks. sports is their key, and with their yeah. advertising, because I think they've started to realize that. And most a lot of these places have you know ESPN. We've seen them go all in, and for and even like the regional networks for baseball is that this is this is the only still, like really the only like DVR proof thing anymore. Sure. For live sports is everyone still and even in wrestling it, it comes to the point where most people don't mind watching it a couple hours later you know but you're not going to want to watch your your red sox game a couple hours later right you're no. always going to watch that live you know if you can if you can't maybe you'll watch it later but you're always going to watch that live one quick question i know we only have about a minute or two uh, left but i know you were a clipper fan for a while you went to a lot of clipper games you spent uh, probably a lot of time rooting for Chris Paul and Blake Griffin and some of those really good teams that they had. I went to a playoff game with you where it looked like they were going to be like a, a NBA title contender. And sure. quickly, that just ended. They all went their separate ways. And we've seen Chris Paul struggle in the playoffs the last couple of years. And Houston, who is a very good team, they were willing to make a trade. They traded him for Russell Westbrook. Do you have any quick thoughts on that trade? Well, as you know, I've always thought that uh, Chris Paul has been highly overrated. He's not somebody that I felt has been ultra clutch in the mm-hmm. postseason. And I kind of feel the same way about Harden, by the way. Those are two guys I've always been the, you know, I've always had a negative attitude towards them because I just don't, yeah, yeah I don't like the yeah. body language. I don't, I can't rely on them to really elevate a team when it comes to playoff time. Uh, but I, but they're fantastic, especially Harden fa- fantasy performers. Yeah. Oh, right. Yeah. And so it's interesting because the Thunder right now really is having a difficult time figuring out what to do with him, mm-hmm. with Chris Paul. So we'll we'll uh, we'll we'll see where he lands ultimately. But um, yeah, with respect to the Clippers, though, I mean, uh, we're going to have a debate here for months to come as to which LA team is is better. Oh, it's going to uh, be fun. The man. Lakers and the Clippers. Gonna so, so that's going to be a fun. lot of fun. And probably an interesting and fun topic for us to maybe have uh, on another day or another occasion is who is the true sports town in America? Because Boston has kind of held that title for a long oh, time now yeah, with all the championships. They've been good I think there's the been last a shift to LA. Yeah, yeah, I think there's been a little bit of shift to LA. I think LA is kind of the center. You know, or at least one and one A in terms even, of being even little things like uh, you know the LAFC's got a little buzz um, yeah. out here. They yeah, have a but the Dodgers, the Rams went to the, the Super Bowl. Really good. The Rams, the Chargers were good. You know, last year they were very good. They were right in the mix. Angels so. have the best player in the world. So I yeah. mean, there's it's kind of been it's you know, and now here you have obviously LeBron and Kawhi Leonard, two of the uh, you know biggest superstars of Anthony Davis. So the LA right can now. make a yeah. case and not embarrass themselves by you saying, win, "Hey, though. we are the true." You gotta win. Yeah. That's True. the key. Got to win. Mike, it was a great show again. Uh, we, uh, we have a lot to talk about next week. Absolutely. Thanks for listening, everyone. Have a tremendous sports weekend. See you same time, same place next week. Thanks for joining us this week for the Mike Abadir Show. Please tune in again next Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time and 4 p.m. Pacific Time for another show with Mike and his co-host, Gino Bacola, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a great week.